interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It is my bloody podcast time, the favorite time of the week where myself and the best friend of the netherworld host a horror movie podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. This is episode 63, holy shit, and we will be talking about our main feature presentation later on in the episode, which will be Vice Squad from 1982. We also have a great bloody question, some recommendations, uh, and then first we'll do some bloody bits of news, but uh, again, I'm Brian Kluger, boomstickcomics.com, highdefdigest.com. Go to those sites. They're fun, and of course, the best friend of the netherworld, and um, he's my my partner in crime to take down all the bad guys in a seedy underbelly city. Preston Barta, freshfiction.tv, in the Denton Record Chronicle. How the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing a lot better than Wings Hauser. I'll say that. <laughs> the, the father of Cole Hauser. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Oh, my goodness. They need to be a remake with Cole Hauser. Uh, yeah. Are you excited about this episode today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a, this is a wild film, so I'm excited to get into it and um there's some good news and i got a good bloody recommendation so i'm ready got my Lacroix. i'm suited up you got your Lacroix. what what uh what flavor Lacroix do you drink i right now i'm drinking orange uh i tend to stick with grapefruit and i like that cherry lime one that they have so i don't get too crazy with the flavors like Haley likes my wife likes uh like all the skinny can ones, and the only one I like out of those skinny can ones is that cherry lime one, which tastes like cherry Coke without the Coke. So you like uh, sparkling water and mineral water and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I get addicted to – my favorite one is grape uh, Waterloo. Grape awesome water bit. glue? Waterloo. Oh, Waterloo. Like Waterloo. Oh, L-O-O. I thought you said water glue. And I'm like, holy shit, what's that happening? <laughs> No, Waterloo is uh, the Austin's sparkling water company, and they have it at Whole Foods, and so I get that. And man, it's 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 the bomb. Now, do you do sodas too, or just the sparkling water? I don't drink sodas. Uh, occasionally, my wife and I will get a splurge and get a Sprite every now and then. <laughs> Don't get crazy here now. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, but that's as, that's as far as it goes. All right, all right. I, I've never, you know what? I never like the carbonated waters or the mineral waters. It's, I, it it's hurts strange. My it's like, uh, I remember the first time I had it, it was like sipping a beer for the first time. You're just like, oh, man. And then it's like you get used to it, and then it just totally takes on a new flavor to you. It's like your taste buds adapt to it and like, manage to find all the good flavor in the nooks and crannies of it all. I don't know. It's very strange. 
It is very strange. And I just received an email, Preston. A crazy, amazing email. Oh, boy. Should I, should I tell you about it? I literally just came through. Oh, okay. All right, go for it. Okay. The email is from Spotify. From Spotify, we have gone ahead and manually added your podcast, so it's now live on Spotify. Dang! Holy shit! So, uh, I'm going to give you the credentials for Spotify for podcasters. So, uh, guys, we're on Spotify. How cool is that? We're, we're official as fuck. We are official as fuck. My bloody podcast on Spotify. Holy God, I'm so excited. So cool. We can like add the, the logo and all that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's we can. Sweet. Yes, we can. I, I it literally just came through. <laughs> because it was it was interesting because like you know, I submitted to to Spotify and um I kept on getting a message saying like oh, we can't do it because there's video podcasts and <laughs> in my head I was like, No, there's no fucking video podcasts and my bloody podcast. What what's happening? And so I had, I like went through like all the files, like, no, it's all MP3. So I had to like email them and uh they're like, Nope, we just manually added your podcast to Spotify. So now it's live. Yes. I'm so excited. Sweet. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk more about that after the show. Yes, 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 we are. Yes, we are. So, uh, yeah, enough sparkling water and business. <laughs> Let's get to the real stuff. The real stuff. Uh, let's do some bloody bits of news. Uh, first up on the bloody bits, uh, the new Parasite trailer. Holy shit! The director of The Host, which is an excellent Korean horror film. Uh, amongst Mother and a couple Oak others. Was, was it, yeah, Okja. Was it Bong Joon something? I'm trying to Bong remember. Bong Joon Ho? Yeah, Bong Joon Ho has a new movie coming out called Parasite. And supposedly it's getting unbelievably good reviews. And from what I can tell, it's about a couple people who go to a very wealthy family's house to teach kids, um, lesson, you know, school lessons of some sort. And then it just, kind of like nose dives it seems like there's like some i have no idea parasite i don't preston do you know more about this because the trailer looked amazing yeah i just focused on the imagery and the the mood of the trailer um i didn't i don't know i just i want to be surprised by it. i can tell that there's something else going on here but i didn't want to do too much digging and spoil it for myself i just as a pretty big uh, Bong Joon-ho fan I uh I just like this is one of those ones I definitely want to go in as blind as possible but um from the imagery and that that sense of feel and atmosphere that's that's going on it, it, I, I'm in for it so um I'm hoping it's one that uh we'll just see at uh, Fantastic Fest it seems like something that would uh manage to weasel its way in there last minute Oh my goodness, if this plays at Fantastic Fest and they bring in Bong, oh my god. Yeah. I don't know what I'll do. I really want to see this trailer, or I mean this movie so badly. Yeah. And so, yeah, it won the top prize at can. That's insane. And I guess one of the pull quotes uh, from the trailer is that you think this movie's going one way and then it goes a completely different way. I love stuff like that. So. Yeah. Handmaid, 
<laughs> Handmaiden, for sure. So Parasite trailer, look that up. It, the trailer doesn't give really hardly anything away. You're just kind of like, oh, this looks like unnerving. Mysterious. Yeah. yeah. I'm very excited about it. So yeah, Parasite cool. trailer. All right. Uh, next, moving on, bloody bits of news. Uh, so I guess a year ago or so, New Line Cinema has slated a horror film for release of 2020 or 2021. And they haven't like uh, said what it is or anything like that. They just say like it's an untitled horror movie project. So James Wan, you know, director of Saw, Conjuring, and all that good stuff, uh, even Aquaman, um, he has a new horror project coming out in 20 or 2021 that it's very secretive. It's like tightly sealed and wrapped up and you don't know anything about it so kind of like on the internet a lot of people have been talking about uh this might be the fantastic remake we've always wanted or sequel even of nightmare on elm street and it makes perfect sense what do you think man uh as much as i would love that and uh, as perfect as James Wan would be for that, I it, he put up on his own Facebook that uh, he shot down those uh, theories. He said that there's been a bit of speculation as to what my next project will be. All I have to say is I'm super excited to go back to my indie roots with this hard R thriller, an original horror idea, not a reboot, remake, or, ba- or anything based on existing IP with old school practical effects and no giant blue screen sets. So you really so, think that's you think that's happening? You don't think it's Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, I mean, there there has been directors that have just flat out lied to us, but uh, I for him, I I would say that it's probably something original. You know, like I always love original stuff. Like I'm all for that. That's what I prefer. You know, and we haven't had a Nightmare on Elm Street movie in so long, and I'm not even counting the remake, um, which was terrible. But mm-hmm. it just makes sense that this would be it. They don't want anybody to know it until it comes out, you know. And yeah, they, I mean, they could pull a Blair Witch type of thing where it's called The Woods, and then all of a sudden it's Blair Witch. So maybe it's because the internet is even more speculative. Uh, with Reddit and things like that, uh, it's probably like, oh shit, we got found out, guys, rats. So, um, <laughs> there could keeping, be the case. And like, if James Wan's doing this, I'm all on board for this. And I would hope it would be a distant sequel, bringing back Robert England to the fray. Um, just because it's just, how do you get somebody else to feel those shoes? You just can't really, you know? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. know. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, after watching that Goldberg's episode, uh, I mean, his voice is a lot more dirtier, Robert England. But I think with uh, James Wan uh, in the picture, he could bring like this kind of sort of grittiness to it that would make it feel refreshing and not so much, uh, or I guess like a little bit of an extension of what, of uh west craven's uh nightmare and then uh something kind of new and unique and i think 
that'd be a, a good place to go. But I, yeah, I can't think of another actor that would be great enough to kind of fill in those shoes. I mean, uh, I, I think I would have my guard up like everybody else in the world if they did an, one day announce that there's a new nightmare coming and uh, we got so and so in there and then but you know good things can happen i think the strongest argument out there is you know heath ledger is the joker um so um until it's officially in writing um i'll just uh be hopeful that one day robert england could make it happen i mean he's only getting older and uh as he said but um this would be a great avenue for it to happen. Yes, it would. Oh my goodness, please happen. But I guess we'll see. We will see. I just hope... <laughs> and James won't be perfect for it. Okay, I, I'm gushing. So, uh, moving on. Last week we talked about Full Moon releasing streaming app and how it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, of course... But this makes more sense, right? Th- I mean... No, I don't. I mean, yes, it does because of like it, it's cheaper. But there's a new horror uh, movie streaming app coming out called the Midnight Movie Society that has teamed up with MVD and Rue Morgue. MVD is responsible for releasing all sorts of great horror classics on Blu ray, as long as music and everything like that. And then Rue Morgue magazine. They've teamed up. Uh, to bring or to launch this streaming app called Midnight Movie Society. And unlike the Full Moon one, which is 10 bucks a month, this one will be 5 bucks a month. It will be available on Apple and Roku and the web Friday the 13th of September next month, which is, you know, kind of cool. Uh, but then again, you know, <laughs> we're getting another app. Uh, of stuff, and I I don't know. We don't know any movies yet. We don't know anything like that. But I I don't know. What do you think about this? Like I know we love MVD, but it's just another app. It's just another thing to pay for, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, I'd be echoing everything I said last week with my frustrations with so many. Um, it, I mean, at this point, it's like podcasts. Like there's so, hey, and we thank you all for listening to my bloody podcast. But there's so many podcasts out there that you just kind of go off of people's recommendations. And um, this one, I, I mean, like you said, we're big horror fans here. Um, but there's, there's just, I mean, there's already one. There's ones out there already. And until there's like something more to report on this as far as like, cause one of the things that I really do love about MVD, um, especially with like the MVD rewind collection is they got really cool aesthetics and, uh, neat features. And if they brought a lot of that kind of stuff to it, um, I think that would make it more, uh, tempting to, uh, get, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have much interest in, uh, branching out with, uh, more streaming services outside of the ones that I own already. Right. So it, it's, you know, I see what they're doing here where full moon releasing is kind of doing like the B or even C grade horror movies. It looks F-grade. like, yeah, F grade midnight movie society is going the route of like extreme underground taboo cult 
hardcore, outrageous gore type stuff. Yeah. Um, which I'm. Which is all, more exciting, but. Yes, but then again, add to your fifty dollars worth of stuff, and if you do, you know, Shutter, you do Full Moon in this, tack on an extra what you know, 25 bucks a month just for three. And I was like, can we just all get like one? <laughs> yeah. See, my, my thing is, is why I, you know, you know, Netflix and Hulu kind of like pave the, the way, but I like, uh, my taste is pretty widespread and I, you know, horror is my favorite genre, but, um, you know, I, I like to, you know, I like to cry during movies. I like dramas and I like comedies and things like that. And Netflix offers that. They also have like horror stuff in there as well. And um, for something that's a little more focused, I don't tend to just, you know, dive into a streaming service that strictly offers that. And so I can see myself maybe purchasing it for like one month and being like, all right, that was fun. All right, let's uh, let's cancel that. And when I'm feeling like diving back dipping back into it i'll uh get it for another month it's just not something that i would keep around consistently yeah it's uh it's i i don't know I, and you know i think in preston and i's experience and how we do things you know it, i also look at my own movie collection and i just yeah. try to buy physical media constantly because of stuff like sure. this or stuff leaving the service and then not being available i just always having physical media to me is better um because yeah, you know especially if, of horror i mean there, it's just like that's where it was uh, i wouldn't say necessarily that it was born out of but that's kind of where it, where its rebirth was um and so i always kind of just like I like my VHS copies of horror movies and I like these collector's editions that kind of like uh, celebrate that w with the the fancy artwork and all that. That's that's what makes it fun for me. And that's what I like once I'm I mean, I'm not a digital fan at all. I mean, um, I have. A, a fair amount of movies that are on my digital library, but um, I, I don't know. I like going into my uh, movie room and picking it off the shelf and looking at it and just appreciate it. It makes me appreciate it more. And um, I don't have a close relationship with uh, stuff that's more that's that's digital. Right, right. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's you know I. We both, I think if we watch movies or TV for sure, we're going to watch it on a Blu-ray or a 4K disc. But I mean, I always, I mean, I have a digital library, um, and that's mo mainly for travel, for yeah. sure. Um, or unless I'm watching like something on Hulu or Netflix. But I mean, I, I go, I actively go out and get Blu-rays and 4Ks and even records, you know, I, I analog is the way to go, folks. And and I'm, and then that's you know Midnight Movie Society. I'm you know you you like something like this to happen because there is a fan base for this. But then again, I just feel like this could be an add-on to Shutter or Netflix. Like you know we've teamed with Netflix or Hulu and the Midnight Movie says I don't know just something like that. It's just another thing to add. And I feel like within the next two years, there's going to be eighty different horror. <laughs> like single horror 
streaming apps. It's just like, where, where does it stop? They'll, they'll, they'll go out of business, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I Good on them to try to get the early jump as more and more companies and networks are beginning to do that, but it, they're going to die out. And then the, the ones that have the, the strongest IP, uh, strongest projects and everything like that, they'll survive. And so this will just be an experimental period. <clears throat> But I think it'll eventually just kind of be filtered out and then the the best and strongest ones will stand out. And then uh, some of these other services will uh, join up with other ones that are stronger. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where what the transitional period will be or what it'll look like. But right now we're on the the early cusp of it. The streaming wars. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. Midnight Movie Society. They are uh, they're live MVD's vast catalog of thousands of films. In addition, Rumorg Magazine will be trying to make fresh content for the service. So who knows how uh, this will go on? But uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And then, uh, yeah, I think we have one more bit of news, I believe, right? Yes. Uh, This one kind of sucks, and it might be good at the same time. Um, So uh, RoboCop Returns, um, it was announced last year that director Neil Blomkamp would be the the man in the directing chair. And he's done uh, Chappie and uh, District 9 and uh, Elysium, and he's done like a slew of shorts that you can watch online a lot of them are not very good but they look good um but i I was excited about him doing it about him doing robocop returns because you know like now a lot of these like older or more we're getting spiritual sequels we're getting i I guess or legacy sequels i guess that's what they're called um like halloween 2018 and things like that um and so this was going to be another one that just kind of ignored everything that RoboCop 2, RoboCop 3, and would be a direct sequel to the original. And so Neil Blomkamp was a year into working on this, and uh, he tweeted uh, on Thursday uh, that he's off RoboCop. Uh, that uh, This is the actual tweet. He said, off RoboCop, I am shooting new horror thriller and MGM can't wait. Need to shoot RoboCop now. Excited to watch it in theaters with other fans. And <laughs> so uh, kind of a strange uh, wording there. But um, yeah, he's no longer a part of RoboCop. So I guess now they need a new commanding officer. Um, but the, the thing that I've always liked about Neil Blomkamp is the way that his movies look. I... He's a big guy that uh, appreciates um, physical or not physical uh, uh, practical effects, and so I I want something that has that sort of aesthetic that he has for RoboCop. If it was to happen at this point, I don't know who they could get that would uh, make it seem just as exciting as that, or, or somebody that would still fight to have for it to have practical effects and focus on story and good characters and 
have that kind of social commentary in place. And I just don't know who else could really do that. And so it's kind of a bummer, but he's going to be doing a horror movie now. But I don't know. There's no details yet about like what that will be or what it's about. Uh, if I had a guess, it's probably mm, probably one based off of one of the shorts that he's made. Um, I mean, he's tried to do that. I think he did that with this short film uh, called Firebase, and he tried to get some crowdfunding going or crowdfunding campaign, um, which stopped in April of last year. And so, um, at this point, he's he's got he's running alongside Guillermo del Toro with having projects that seem exciting, but then they just kind of don't happen. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I like, do we not, what do we like Neil Blomkamp? Cause like, uh, I mean, I do, I, I, uh, me and James Cole Clay, we really enjoy <laughs> Chappie. Um, it's not a great what movie. kind of level. Oh, I have a steelbook copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we enjoy, we enjoy it. Um, that movie quite a bit for how, silly it is and i really enjoy uh hugh uh, jackman in it um and we just like make fun and uh we just kind of i guess like hate watch it a little i don't know that's kind of a guilty pleasure or something um but elysium i didn't care for and uh but i love district nine and but he hasn't quite made anything on that same level since well he's only made three movies district nine elysium yeah, and Chappie. but a and slew I, of shorts he's made uh and i've watched quite a few of them yeah zygote they, from uh what's it called um the abc's of death was really good yeah uh he made this one i i can't uh, i'm trying to think if it was dakota fanning or somebody was in it it might have been her uh but it was like his version of the thing and it was pretty interesting but it looked really good um so uh he's it's just unfortunate that like nobody will will give him the creative freedom to kind of do what he wants at this point and so um i don't know i don't know i don't know if he needs to get back in with peter jackson or something i don't know but uh he needs to. He needs a comeback movie, and I was hoping that RoboCop Returns was going to be it because I was excited about him possibly doing like an a true Alien Three because uh, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Alien Three. You like uh, Chappie, but you don't like Alien Three. What? Nope. You are nope. weird, sir. Weird. No. no, Alien and Aliens are fantastic, but. Uh, Aliens 3 kind of just really shit the bed for me. Oh, no um, way. Not to me. I like that Fincher project. <laughs> nope. Um, yeah. So it's a bit of a bummer, but maybe uh, it, it just won't happen. Maybe the whole thing will be canceled at this point. Um, who knows? Well, they did uh, such a terrible job with that RoboCop remake. Yeah. Uh, I... I kind of had fun with it, but, uh, it, it's, I mean, just like the movie that we're going to talk about today, what makes RoboCop so great is that kind of grittiness. And I, I just had a feeling that Neil Blomkamp would probably bring that because as somebody who seemingly appreciates, um, what makes movies like aliens and alien and RoboCops so great. And he probably would have uh, made something 
pretty close to it. I, I just wanted to see what one of those Lego sequels would have looked like from him. And it just it sucks that uh, it's not going to happen. So um, who knows? Who knows what will happen going forward? All right. All right. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, what else? What else? What else? Anything else? So I guess like the only thing we can mention is Scream Factory is releasing John Carpenter's uh, vampire movie, right? Oh, yeah. 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 That's exciting. Yeah, uh, another yeah. another good John Carpenter on uh, on Scream Factory Collector's Edition. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, Criterion just released their November lineup. I'm trying to thumb through it, see if there's anything. There's no horror in it. I just looked at it. Um, okay. So, yeah, now Voyager, All About Eve, The Day Trippers, Betty Blue, and Cold War. So, mm-hmm. no horror. Unfortunately, there was no horror, I don't think, in October, which was upsetting, too. No, I thought there was that silent uh, devil movie. Oh, you know, you know what? You're right, Haxon. Haxon. I own it on DVD, by the way, Criterion DVD, so I'm glad mm. it's being released on Blu-ray. I will replace it for sure. Cool. So, that is, that is good stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, shall we move on to our bloody question after the bloody bits of news? Sounds good. All right. Bloody question time. This is the part in the podcast, my bloody podcast, which is now on Spotify, guys. <laughs> um, uh, bloody questions where we ask a question to ourselves and we bring that question over to Reddit and get some funny answers. Uh, in regard to Vice Squad, our question this week was, what two movie characters would make the best and most sadistic cop villain team. So basically, you know, in honor of Vice Squad, what two movie characters would make that the most sadistic cop villain team up? Who would you want to see in the film you make? Who would play the cop and why? And who would play the evil villain? And you get bonus points for details on their climactic battle. So, uh, yeah, Preston... I cannot wait. Also, when I when I uh, mentioned this question to Preston, his text back was, "Ooh, I know what I'm doing." Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, is that a is that a correct impression? Yeah, absolutely. That's it. <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, putting my fingers together ever so gently. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't I don't really have like a climax. I can imagine what it would look like, but. As far as my good guy uh, in this picture, I would want it to be George C. Scott. Um, One of my favorite movies um, is New Sincerons, and it's him and uh, Casey uh, Stacy Keach, and it's like a it's a dirty cop movie. Um, It's really great. Uh, Twilight Time put out a cool release of it um, maybe a year or two ago. And I just really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed, really enjoy George Scott, uh, George C. Scott, a lot. Um, there's like a, there's like a handful of actors that I just really become obsessed with, and he's one of them. Um, and then uh, Peter Cushing, really enjoy all that kind of stuff. And so um, I would love to see a movie with him versus uh Rudger Hauer 
and I just, <laughs> yeah. Um, but with Rugger Howard, it would be like an, something very similar to his Blade Runner character, where he's just a very poetic Shakespearean kind of guy, and uh, very psychological and manipulative. And I think I, I just think that they would make a great team of him. Just and George C. Scott is like one of the best actors at being pissed off. And so I could just see him just being fed up with it. Like I'm too, uh, I'm not philosophical enough for your shit kind of thing. And, um, so I, I just, and it would force him to George C. Scott's character to, to try to smarten up, I guess, and try to get on his level and uh, I don't know. I, I would imagine the climactic battle would be very similar to Blade Runner, um, but it, it would all kind of come down to like dumb luck for George C. Scott winning in this picture. But I would just love to see those guys clash no. with their different personalities. See, that would be awesome. And I want to tell you, folks that are listening here, I want to tell you, I did not know Preston's uh, uh, like pick for this question at all and uh, i knew he liked george c scott but i didn't i had no idea he was going this route and i just want to say that my bloody recommendation this week main actor is george c scott so i just want to let you know that press and i are on a level uh like a higher level than most people <laughs> like we're connected in like a higher level of like we were thinking the same things <laughs> yep there Perhaps. it is there, there it is. Oh, I like that, buddy. I like that. Synergy. Yeah. Synergy. Strategery. Um, so I picked out kind of like, I, I couldn't, I, I, I was, so I, I picked out basically three, like three and a half different ones because <laughs> okay. I just like kind of like went crazy with it. Um, but I'll just read them quickly. <laughs> and I kind of had fun with this. Like I think Preston, you got uh, kind of serious bet. Okay, so uh, my my first one was Arnold Schwarzenegger as Detective John Kimball from Kindergarten Cop tracks down Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh my goodness, how good would that be? Mm-hmm. No, you don't think that. so? There'd be a huge climactic fight scene between the two of them in an interrogation by Detective John Kimball. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It just sounds amazing, right? Yeah. Either him, uh, Arnold from that, or Arnold from Predator, because I think that I just want to see him walk in on something crazy that Buffalo Bill's doing, and then just be like, "What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) You ugly motherfucker!" And it's funny, so like after I thought of this, I was like, wait a second, let's get meta here and have Detective John Kimball, Arnold Schwarzenegger, track down Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator 1. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa! Whoa! Crazy! And I just thought that would be super fun, I think. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be the, the better version of Gemini Man that we're getting this year. That's true. That's true. Oh, Gemini Man just does not look good. <laughs> oh, Will Smith, when will you do a good movie again? Um, my my other one is Dirty Harry Callahan takes on David Lopan from Big Truth, <laughs> Little Chat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like those characters would be so good 
together. <laughs> yeah, eccentricity versus a guy that just you know is very get off my lawn. <laughs> oh, would you? Oh, just to see those two and just like Dirty Harry not take any of that shit at all. <laughs> I feel like during the movie, he'd be like, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm out, guys. I'm out. <laughs> and they recast it halfway through. <laughs> With Kevin Hart. Um, <laughs> and then my last one, Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop goes after the aliens in They Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. I just think like... To have Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley kind of be a badass, but a much funnier, like, Rowdy Roddy Piper would be super funny in that role. Like, he, like, there, there's the aliens in Beverly Hills, and it's just like, uh, he puts a banana in their tailpipe. I don't know, it would just be fucking funny, I think. <laughs> him or, trying uh... to get Taggart and Billy to, like, listen to him, it would just, oh my goodness. How yeah. good would that be? Or Chris Farley from Beverly Hills uh, Ninja. Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! No, see that uh, fun. I would like to see these team ups and mashups, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, they'd, they'd be good. Uh, they'd make they'd be good for like a comic book too. <laughs> right, right. I I I think that would be awesome. So, uh, yeah, do you want to go to Reddit and read the few uh, answers we got? Sure. All right. Uh, coming in at the top uh, with the most points is, uh, let's see, Backa Club President hmm. says uh, Alejandro Gillick, which is uh, Benicio del Toro from Sicario, and Anton Shiger uh, from mm. Javier Bardem from No Country for Old Men, which oh my God, Javier and Benicio, that'd be badass. Yeah, they're both very like um, deep thinkers and just kind of quiet, and like they know everything. Like everything's like carefully calculated to them, but they don't really express it. Um, y- you just like look at both of their characters, and you're like you fear them. You fear Benicio del Toro because, uh, he's just super intense. Like even at the end of Sicario two, he's really intense. Um, so yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. That would make a great movie. That, yeah. Let's get that on comic book form. Uh, all right. Uh, full metal, full metal pyramid head said the cop from I saw the devil and Kiki Kakihara from Ichi the killer, which, Sounds unbelievable. If you haven't seen I Saw the Devil or Ichi the Killer, mm-hmm. I highly suggest that you do. Um, both foreign films from Japan. Excellent stuff there. Uh, I'm all in there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. That would be good. All right. Uh, Plaza One said, I always liked Ernie Hudson's kind and thoughtful cop in The Crow, so it would mm-hmm. be nice to see him go up against Mark Strong's bad guy from Kick-Ass. I think the climax could be pretty cool mix of OTT gore mashed up with some supernatural Mysterioso vibe as Ernie's cop ends up deflating the situation by calmly explaining there's no need to be nasty. <laughs> I like that one. So yeah, and I and I thought it was like, man, yeah, Mark Strong was really good as the bad guy in Kick-Ass. And then Ernie yeah. Hudson's amazing. Yep. So... 
And then uh, Antman269 said, Vic Manning from Stuber? Jesus. And Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> mm. So, I I mean, I know you saw Stuber. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? No. Um, no, I wouldn't put anybody from Stuber with anybody of, of that much class. Um, I, I like the, the idea of Jules going up against somebody, but I, yeah, I wouldn't pick Stuber. All right. Well, hear that Ant-Man 269. We still like you. Thanks for joining the convo in our yeah, last but one. Squash it. <laughs> our last one, dark tide mage, uh, says Jake Peralta. And I have to look that up. Jake Peralta. What's that? Who's that? From uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, right? Okay, I guess so. And Thanos, Thanos with all six gems, Infinity Stones, which I don't understand. I guess I've only watched a couple episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine. I know I need to watch it. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, that'd be great. It would be like watching. Um... I mean, really, just like watching like Rocket Raccoon or Thor, modern Thor. So it's it's Andy Samberg versus Thanos, basically. Pretty right? much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all his crazy antics versus uh, Thanos, who's very uh, philosophical as well. Now, do you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? I do. So is that like Scrubs, but set in kind of like a police precinct? Uh, a, a, a little bit. Um. Yeah, that's a pretty good description, but I'm not. I do not like Scrubs. Whoa, that's crazy! How do you not like Scrubs? It's it's just not for me. There's too like a, silly and too cute. I I, I guess like the, I, I do laugh at it. Like my my wife watches it every now and then, and uh, but it's just not one that I really enjoy. All right, I need to give it a shot. I know people like it, but you just, would love Brooklyn Nine Nine. Okay, I need to I need to watch it. So hopefully at some point I will. Um, yeah, those were our questions. If you want to email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com, please uh, let us know and uh, what you think about who would be the best cop villain team up. So, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody over at Reddit for chiming in. That was a lot of fun for sure. But now on to bloody recommendations where we suggest a horror movie of sorts, a violent, bloody movie, and we want you to watch it. It could be vintage, it could be new that you haven't heard of, or just something that you haven't seen in a long time that we just want to stress to you how good it is. So, Preston, what say you? So I saw a movie about Manson, Charles Manson. <laughs> well, we're going back to the Manson episode. He's, he's yeah. into Manson now. Well, it is the 50th anniversary, and August 9th wasn't too long ago. So, uh, yeah, there's there's uh, there's more content out there this year, more than what uh, we've already mentioned. And this one just kind of snuck up on me. I uh, didn't even know about it until I got an email. Um, and it's a documentary called Manson Music from an Unsound Mind. Let me explain something to you. I wrote about a couple hundred songs, you know? You know, I've got them all written down and all that, man. All right, I'll give you an example, man. I'll try to stick to a, a song that, uh, that'll make you some money. Uh, <laughs> let's see. The mythology of Charlie Manson 
has come to mean above all else vicious murder. But those terrible acts were never what he was aiming for. The real story of Charlie Manson is music. I don't think Charlie could have been Charlie without the music. He was a poet, and he really believed in his music. Music was the vehicle. He really wanted to spread his philosophy. To me, that seemed to be the most important and overriding agenda. It might not be as obvious to some people how involved and ingrained in the music business Charles Manson seemed to be. I mean, Terry Melcher is producing the birds, Beach Boys, Brian Wilson. These are two huge selling record producers, and they're looking at you, Charles Manson. The story of Charles Manson is a story of rejection and collapse. It was a disintegration of Manson's dreams, and it allowed the madness to rise. It's available now uh, on VOD, so you can look it up on iTunes or Amazon or wherever. But uh, I was uh, I was pretty blown away by this documentary. I have to say, uh, it's uh, it's a new perspective. Um, in my review itself, I said, you know, there's as many Charles Manson movies, documentaries, films as there are seemingly about uh, JFK assassination. There's just like such a fascination there, which we delved into in our Manson episode that we did. And so this one uh, focuses on uh, his uh, obsession to be a rock star, to be the next great rock star. So I said that it's there's a lot of documentaries out there that focus on the nail of the situation, but uh, not so much the hammer behind it. And so there are documentaries out there that are very long and lengthy and some that focus on the life after Manson. There's one actually called Life After Manson. Um, and so and there, there's a lot of different avenues to that whole story that are super fascinating. But I feel like this one uh, touches on all those bases while also diving into like what was the root cause of it all. And they they paint it in such a way where it's like, I mean, he just Charles Manson just could not take rejection. And so he wanted to be the next great rock star. And uh, it started with like him being in prison um, in the mid sixties and, uh, picking up the guitar, listening to Beatles music and, and then leaving and well, developing friendships with like record producers, um, uh, Phil Kaufman, um, uh, Terry Melcher and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, meeting, uh, Brian, uh Dennis Wilson, uh, I think we discussed that a little bit last time about he's one of the one of the Beach Boys, he was the drummer, and he was kind of like the the wild card of them all. Wild card, um, <laughs> and he uh, one day just picked up Manson's followers, went back to his house for some quote milk and cookies, and those members went back to the ranch and were being debriefed by. Manson and then says, yeah, we, we met this guy and, and then ended up being Dennis Wilson. And so they all like got on a bus and drove over to his property. And 
What's interesting is that it's a Talking Heads interview, um, but there's a lot of great archival footage. Um, some of it's like super surprising how they were able to get it, and it just really kind of like puts you into the the headspace of the time, or that that sort of paranoia. So they have like Charles Manson biographers on there. Uh, they have one of the family members and uh, Phil Kaufman, that record producer who put out Charles Manson's record while he was in prison. So it's just like really fascinating to get like these different perspectives. And then the fact that it just like hits all the beats that it needs to, it's like, it just cuts all the fat off and just focuses on the, the best details or the most meaty details of it all. I just was really swept up into it, especially with it just focusing so much on the music and like his lyrics and the relationships that he had at the time and uh, nothing felt rambly or out of place. Uh, if you watch it late at night, you might get a little sleepy because it, it its presentation isn't anything special. It's like a, you know, operates very similar to like a standard TV doc. But I feel like the, the information does all the heavy lifting. And uh, so it has no need to kind of have those, you know, creative animated uh dramatizations or clever editing or anything like that it just kind of just you know has talking heads has the archival footage and photos and i i felt like all that was enough and so i was really really into it so yeah that's uh, manson music from an unsound mind there you go and it, did they have any uh long interviews with manson uh, no, there's, uh, it's more of like, uh, an analysis piece. And so you're getting like all these Manson biographers who have studied and watched all his interviews and everything like that. So they're just kind of like giving, giving it to you secondhand, but it, they present it in such a way where it feels firsthand in a way. I don't know. I just felt pretty compelled by everything of what they were saying. So I didn't exactly need to watch uh, a, a real long winded uh, interview with Manson to be like, Oh, that was interesting. Um, but then the rest of this shit wasn't. Um, so uh, I don't know. That's, that's why I just kind of say it's like, it's a documentary that just trims all the fat off and just focuses on the good stuff. All right. All right. And we can watch that on where again? Uh, it's on VOD now, so you can watch it on iTunes and Amazon and things like that. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, all right. Uh, my bloody recommendation of the week is a movie. <laughs> uh, a movie from uh, an older movie. And we, we, we talked about this, or we talked about this a little earlier, uh, George C. Scott being in it. It's a movie called Hardcore. A controversial subject. A brilliant actor. A powerful and touching film. A movie which will take you into a world never dealt with in a major motion picture. A father searches for his missing daughter, only to find she has been used in a sordid and shocking way. Nothing you have ever done, seen, or imagined can prepare you for the experience of hardcore. Turn it off! George C. Scott. Hardcore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen this, right? Yes. And it is, you know, to go in line with uh, Vice Squad a little bit, uh, this movie is great, and this is also a Twilight Time release as well. But uh, this movie is, you know, even, you know, coming out, I think this came out, what, in the 70s, I think. Yeah, uh, 79, I believe. Yeah, so uh, Paul, Paul Schrader, Schrader. yes. Um, he Paul Schrader is one of the greats, and you probably, he's usually left out uh, when talking about the best filmmakers and writers, but he uh, had collaborated with Martin Scorsese and Brian De Palma quite a bit. Schrader wrote Taxi Driver, Obsession, Raging Pool, and Last Temptation of Christ. And he directed the big award-winning American Gigolo in Light of Day. And, I mean, Paul Schrader is a damn good dude. Still, still, uh, I mean, First Reform is pretty incredible, too, in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then so in 1979, Schrader uh, directed Hardcore. And it's kind of like similar to Taxi Driver in a way, but uh, it's... I, I could all you could also kind of compare it to um, Vice Squad in a little bit of sense because it's you know out on the very seedy underbelly of a big city where there's a cop and somebody else and a girl in a prostitution ring. But it, this so happened this whole thing is uh, hardcore is basically every father's worst nightmare come to life and uh, George C. Scott plays this guy named Jake Van Dorn and he's a business dude and uh, he's raising his preteen daughter by himself so Kristen uh, is his daughter's name and this his daughter does not come home from this church trip she goes at and he panics and he hires a detective played by Peter Boyle to help track her and then, uh, so it looks like this detective uh, turns up a very, very violent porn, like a snuff film starring his daughter. And so uh, he kind of sets out to kind of find her. And it is such, a, it's called hardcore for a reason, but, you know, you're just kind of, it's a very sad movie <laughs> and very depressing movie, but it kind of, do you think this is worth watching? Like, I think this is an amazing movie, and I don't think... I mean, they try to do this kind of stuff today, but I don't think they get the necessary tone down. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I imagine we're going to get more into that with Vice Squad, because uh, that's like a big topic that we're probably going to discuss. But yeah, absolutely. I think this movie is pretty amazing. I guess that's why, I, like, I think even New Centurion's, uh is a good companion piece with it all too, just cause I, I like watching those movies from back in the day and being like, God, I can't believe like these movies were so bold and they're not like being recognized or just haven't really, they're not being put in headlines anymore. They're not being put on like some of the best of, of, you know, cop movie lists and that sort of thing. And so I, I don't know. I just really find it, uh, pretty incredible that they, these, these, that these movies were so daring at the time and uh, had this sort of, I, you know, I'm going to just keep saying this grit that um, you just don't really see. Like everything seems very polished today and everybody's like walking on eggshells. And so even when if they do try to go down a daring route to make some sort of 
political or social statement, it just doesn't it rings a little hollow. And I feel like these ones, like they, they get dirty, they get their hands real dirty. And, uh, I think ultimately has a more profound impact. And so, yeah, I think these movies are pretty, uh, important to seek out. And, uh, I think it would do well to, um, I don't know if they need to like re-release in theaters, have some sort of like, festival run or like a triple feature sort of thing and then just like imagine what the conversations would be walking out of something like that today right no it would be good and like you know the movie hardcore you with a title like that you expect to see like actual snuff stuff going on like snuff in it but you don't get that it's you know it kind of focuses on uh george c scott's like emotional distance and the crisis he's in where like every bit of evidence or, you know, seeming lead turns up a dead end, you know, and just kind of, and you see like what he's willing to go through to find his daughter. And it just gets really crazy and really good. And, uh, there, I mean, there's brutal scenes, but it's, you know, it, it's damn good. And I just wish they made more movies like this today. I mean, like I know they, you know, what was the one with, Joaquin Phoenix, they did. Re- you never really were here, or something like that. Yeah, you were never really here. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It. I mean, while it's an okay movie, it doesn't like kind of packed like the emotional or gut punch like this does. And like Preston said, George C. Scott is a damn good actor. National treasure. Yes, a national treasure. So uh, yeah, hardcore. Please seek this out if you can. Um, I'm not sure if it's on streaming at the moment, but it was released uh, in a limited edition of Twilight Time, and it came with uh, commentaries from Paul Schrader himself and some of the actors. So he growled all through that, right? Yes, yes. So uh, this is a movie you should see. So there you go. There you go. And then now we're on to our main feature presentation, Vice Squad, 1982 Vice Squad. Carla is a prostitute, the princess of Hollywood Boulevard. Ooh, 50. Well, you said 25, sweetheart. What's the extra for? Well, they set your toes. Ramrod is the psychopath pimp on her tail. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, bitch! And Walsh is the vice cop who must keep them apart. Look at her, princess, listen to her, listen to her real good. Ramrod did that to her, he beat the shit out of her. Their worlds collide in a bloody battle for control of the streets. A glamorous and glittering facade. And the grim reality behind it. Find you, bitch. You hear me? I'm gonna find you! Vice Squad. Yeah, this movie is insanely good, and I just, I mean, 
out of all the remakes and everything uh, these days, you would like, why haven't they remade this? And I just, I don't know if they could get away with it, at least in this type of climate, which is sad to say. But the movie came out in January of 1982, uh, and it was directed by Gary Sherman, who... Not a bad director. He did uh, Dead and Buried and Poltergeist 3. Uh, not bad at all. So, uh, yeah, this movie is, I, I would say, pretty crazy. I would say, um, you know, how, how do you describe this movie? So a pimp, a prostitute, and a police detective walk into a bar. You know, that's kind of... Uh, kind of a joke there, and with names like Ramrod and Princess for character names, <laughs> and, and a tagline of "On the street, the real trick is staying alive." Yes, <laughs> yes. In this movie, I mean, I, I know we're going to get into like the history of this movie, but I guess kind of like an overall arcing story is that there's this really horrible pimp named Ramrod, who was played by Wings Hauser, yes, father of Cole Hauser from Goodwill Hunting and Days and Confuse. Um, and he is just an asshole on epic proportions. And so he's doing his terrible business with the ladies. Uh, and then meanwhile, there's a prostitute named Princess. And then there is a police detective named Tom Walsh, and they all cross paths. So uh, Ramrod tries to kill one of the prostitutes. She gets away because um, she's working with the, the police detectives, and they capture Ramrod, but he escapes, and he tries to go off the prostitute that kind of set him up. And so everybody's trying to find him before he kills again. So that's yeah, it's pretty much Terminator at that point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much Terminator. Kind of like a very long chase scene in the very dark streets of like a metropolis city. So that's kind of like the overall gist of the story. And... You know, at the beginning of the movie, you just see, like, what terrible stuff this guy does. You're like, oh, fuck, yeah, they caught him. Oh, and and then he just, you know, it's like, oh, shit, how'd this happen? And I don't know. Preston, what do you think? Yeah. Um, see, I had, I had never seen this movie uh, before I got this Scream Factory edition. But it was one that really interested me just because, like I said, I really like these kind of gritty cop movies. And uh, I, I had heard good things about it, even though I think on Siskel and Ebert, like their show, uh, Siskel hated this movie. And so usually when that happens, it makes me want to watch it. Just it's a dirty movie. It's so dirty that like you want to wipe off the the screen of your television after or take a shower um, because it's just it it manages to go places, even though it has like a standard kind of like narrative structure, it just like finds ways to kind of like. Uh, break beyond the surface of what uh, you might be expecting. I think Wings Hauser gives a pretty incredible performance, and I, I'm sure you have like a lot of great stories as to uh, the sort of mentality that he had on set, where um, like he was so into it that he like strangleholded uh, one of the execs of the movie to uh see that he was right for the part and he just 
got the part and then uh, on set because uh, this movie takes primarily uh, place uh, takes place at night. Um, so they would be shooting until like four in the morning. But yet he Wings Hauser would be so like caught up in being ramrod that he would need to uh, let the, the air out of the balloon by like going out drinking or hanging out with some people before he went home to his family. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a crazy character. It really is. And you can tell that like he was really entranced with this character by like his mannerisms in the movie and his delivery. And it like there's like times that you're like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, this seems real." <laughs> like even though it's over the top, violent in some cases, <clears throat> But it's just, uh, I don't know, I, I he, he really fell into this role nicely. And I like, kind of like, who wouldn't? <laughs> but, uh, no, it's damn good. Yeah. Um, we should talk a little bit about Princess. Um, yes, Princess, yeah. season Hubley. Yeah, she has a really great character introduction. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> at first when it starts, um, you know, it has this really long... Uh, T- a title credits sequence which is you know just kind of showing like the the neon glow of yeah, sunset boulevard yeah it's kind of like the naked gun opening credits but without the the, the police light going around just right yeah and, and made way more serious and and then yeah all of a sudden you see this woman putting her baby on a bus and then it just like it seems like so gut-wrenching and then the next moment she pulls like a superman and is uh, putting on her nightwear to uh, be a prostitute out on the streets. Yeah, she's, and, she's a, a, a mommy by day. <laughs> yes. But by night. Got to pay the bills, you know. Yes. I, it's like this whole, the most interesting parts of the movie to me are to get like these like small kind of like hangout moments with all the prostitutes of like, uh, you know, them sitting down and then talking about like all the different experiences that they've had with men like sucking toes. And uh, and then we get the probably the, the wildest one in this movie is a uh, princess putting on a wedding dress to go to a guy's wake and then the dude wakes up and that's like his like just to see the strange fetishes of all these like nasty men is just crazy and i just like the i guess the commentary there and uh i don't know it was it was really wild and yeah i enjoyed it it's very enjoyable uh we we have to we have to talk about kind of how crazy this movie is to get made because this movie is kind of the culmination of the late 70s and early 80s that brought together a crazy amount of top tier talent which is funny because this movie is like insanely over the top violent in cases and I can't believe it was ever made and released with this top tier talent so like we already talked about Gary Sherman but he was joined by producing partner uh, Robert Remy who was the former president of Avco Pictures who helped make John Carpenter movies, including The Fog and Escape from New York. Um, And also, the cinematographer here on this movie, Vice Squad, was John Alcott, 
who did all of the best Stanley Kubrick movies, including yep. 2001 Space Odyssey, Barry Lyndon, which is probably the best shot movie ever, The Shining and A Clockwork Orange. And then the uh, score was done by Joe Renzetti, who did the original Child's Play theme. And it's just, it's unbelievable, this top-tier talent coming into this movie. And, I mean, I really wish I was there at the time. I was like, yeah, we're going to fucking make this movie. All this, like... The Stanley Kubrick guys come like you're just what? How did this? How did this happen? <laughs> I don't know. I just think yeah. that's um, unbelievably cool mm-hmm. because you know, even though there's like this setup and mix of sex, rough violence, and revenge, uh, there is that element of Taxi Driver, which Preston alluded to earlier of. Um, you know, taking on a vigilante role, uh, roaming the streets. And that's kind of evident there, I think, with Princess and the detective, uh, don't you think? But I think Vice Squad is more of the straight, narrow path of revenge than trying to kind of, like, make the world a better place. Yeah, I think it's more reality-based in that it's not like the cops are not, like, they're not Arnold Schwarzenegger or Cobra or anything like that. They're not like getting crazy. Like the, the, the cop like handles it in a real way. And like the, where like princess herself is doing like most of the work of, you know, you know, infiltrating and getting in to be like the, the bait in the situation. It reminded me a lot of, uh, no country for old men in that, that it just has this kind of, like Tommy Lee Jones's character in that movie, you know, a lot of people were upset with how that movie uh, ends, but it ends in such a way where Tommy Lee Jones's character is just like waking up to this like dehumanized world where like there is like I can try to do all that I can, but there's no changing uh, what the streets are. And I think that's how this movie winds up with. You know, there's nothing that you can do to fix the streets that they are going to be what they're going to be. You can you can uh, take down Ramrod, but there's there's other Ramrods out there. And I think that's what makes it a bigger movie than just being your typical kind of revenge film of like Unforgiven style of, you know, a a prostitute was uh, beat to death and dies and then they got to take him down. So I feel like there's just there's just more going on there than it just being pretty standard, even though it's like disguised in such a way of being one. And it has a lot of those elements of being one. But there's uh, there's more there's much more at play here. And that's what makes it more fascinating of a film. No, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's I mean, it, it's in, it, interestingly enough, I think originally um this uh, was supposed to be a TV series based on the real-life experiences of a Los Angeles police officer. Uh, but they kind of went this crazy route with it, I think. And, like, all in a movie. Like, all in one movie instead of, like, you know, epi- episodical. If that's a word? I think so. Um, but, yeah, the characters in here are just insane. And, like, I really think, like, Princess could be, like, you know, an early Wonder Woman of sorts, you know? Like, she really can hold her own, can't she? For sure, yeah. I absolutely yeah. agree. That was, And I think, you know, 
do you, I mean, I think this movie could be remade today in the same grit, I think, just because, you know, you could say that, you know, even with like the, you know, kind of Me Too movement or, you know, this kind of in, uh, empowering for women to stand up for herself and be able to take on somebody like this, right? Yeah. Um, I, it, I don't know if it, it would, they wouldn't be able to achieve it the same way that they did. Um, but I think it could be me be remade, but I just don't think it would quite have the same effect unless you had somebody like Steve McQueen. And I'm, I'm talking about the director of 12 years a slave. Cause I feel like most of his movies, they have like this kind of feel and tone to them that, uh, a lot of filmmakers don't really have. It's like, he just kind of dares to go there and they just, they, he finds like a nice balance between being like something that's very cinematic, but also very truthful. And so I think like he could probably do it. Uh, I did enjoy widows, his movie that he did most recently. And that's kind of like a very uh, similar approach. Uh, so I think he would be good for something like that. But, um, I could just imagine a lot of filmmakers today kind of putting more money on, the action of it all and less focus on like what really matters. So, uh, I think it would lose something if it tried, if it was remade today, but, um, it, it, it could probably still be pretty effective overall, but, um, I think it would be great to have it something like this remade today. Just kind of speak to everything that's going on in the world now, but, um, at the same time, this movie's pretty great and should be just seeked out. For sure, yeah. Seek this out. It's on Scream Factory Collector's Edition, and I have to talk about these extras if you get this. Yeah. There are 337 minutes of bonus material. That is not a typo, and we're not talking about the two audio commentaries either. Uh, it is crazy. There are six interviews in total, new interviews with the cast and crew. Uh, and I just have to say, I'm all for comprehensive extras, but six hours of just talking head interviews can cause you to go into a coma. It was just insane. <laughs> like it was, oh my goodness. Getting you have through to these really things. love this movie because you get, you kind of get like, uh, a career, uh, summary of each person that they talk to from like childhood and how they, like the director himself, Gary, talks about his childhood and how he got into filmmaking, um, which I tend to, which I tend to get into. Like, a, I, I'm most interested in, uh, somebody who's like really dived into the, the themes of it all and explored it. And so I, I didn't mind it so much with the directors, but once you start getting into the actors, I like hearing certain, uh, parts of their experience of on set. But once I start getting like that all encompassing kind of feel, uh, it can get pretty tiresome. So you have to really love a movie like this to, uh, have the patience for something like that. But there are some pretty great stories, uh, here and there. Um, I think even, uh, Gary, the director, like he, uh, he took like the, the fast track to being a cop, is that right? Did yes. You yes. Yeah. Like he actually went in there to uh, see what it was like to be a cop and spoke to a lot of pe a lot of different police officers and then um, got pretty honest about uh, what it was like on the street, kind of uh, talking to pimps. 
Um, so uh, I found all that pretty fascinating. But yeah, like you said, I, I, I didn't really get through all of it, but I uh, explored the ones that I felt were going to be most interesting to me. And uh, I, I found it fascinating, but uh, yeah, I, it's, it's not one of those. I mean, it's not like Jaws or something like that where I'd be like, holy shit. Yeah, bring it all on. I will watch it all. But um, no, I, I like and I like it. I just, you know. I think just talking head interviews, you know, I just, I kind of want like a mix of behind the scenes footage and, you know, you know, all encompassing instead of literally six hours of just talking heads. It's, that's a lot to get through. And I, I, I applaud it. I mean, it seemed like everybody wanted to come in and talk about this movie and Scream Factory was like, fuck yeah, come on in. It's a lot to get through with just talking head and I'm glad they're doing it. Yeah. Luckily they, they split it up into chapters and they have titles and things like that. So uh, you can kind of just go through it, thumb through it yourself and just be like, Oh no, that's something I want to see what they have to say about that. Right. But I I would say like, I mean, this movie is definitely highly recommended. The Blu-ray from Screen Factory collector's edition, def highly recommended the, uh, the new, uh, transfer, which is a new 4K scan of the original film elements, is great. Uh, I mean, it looks like the best it has ever looked. And then it delivers a new DTS HD mono track, which is excellent. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, Vice Squad, pick it up at ScreamFactory.com today. Or ShopFactory.com. Uh, yeah. Shop. Yeah, there you go. Shopfactory.com slash shop. But yeah, Vice Squad. We we loved this movie and we just hope uh, that the, the the new artwork is great. A very high improvement of the original uh, poster. Uh, and yeah, we're just we're we're just lucky to have this movie and Lucky Scream Factory put this out. But uh, yeah. Um I think that wraps up our our episode uh today, right? Our sixty yeah. third episode. Yes indeed. Well, hell yes. Um, we'll be back next week with more goodness, good, more good horror, more gooder horror. Uh, and <laughs> you're like Charlie over here. Yes, uh, I, so sunny. Yeah, uh, Charlie, uh, no, hate. Mac. Mac says uh, you, you, uh, stupid scientists couldn't make my friend more smarter. <laughs> yeah, more smarter, more the 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 most goodest here. Why Charlie yeah. hate? Uh, my bloody podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and now Spotify. Very exciting. I'm Brian Kluger with BoomstickComics.com and HighDefDigest.com. Check me out writing high def gear reviews, Blu-ray, 4K reviews, and some movie stuff along with a lot of horror and goodness. And check out the YouTube channel. Type me in Brian Kluger where I'm doing interviews as well as uh. Having a little fun with some arcade claw machines. It's pretty funny. And then, of course, Preston Barta. Everywhere on the internet. Famous dude. Where can they find you? (laughs) Um, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Preston Barta, B-A-R-T-A. And uh, you can find my writing on uh, DittonRC.com. And that's for Ditton Record Chronicle. Uh, If you would like to read my written review of that Manson documentary that I recommended earlier that is up currently. Um, 
And uh, you can find some of my stuff on freshfiction.tv where I'm the features editor. And uh, I also wanted to plug um, James Cole Clay. Finally got that Manson article out uh, about cult fascination. Ooh, I've got to read this. So it's on Consequence of Sound right now, and you can go find it. Um, So it's coming out just in time for season two of Mindhunter that's coming out this week. Uh, which also has Charles Manson in it. So uh, a lot of Manson to go around. Um, so yeah, there's there's all the places I can be found. Very, very cool. We will be back next week with episode 64. Stay tuned till then, and we love you.